Thanks for tuning in for another edition of the Veries and Numerous podcast presented by Briar.io, a Briar.io production. Quick shout out here. I start every episode like this to our sponsors. As you can see, them scrolling across as I read them off here. Special thanks to Thunder Games. Thunder Games creates games that integrate Bitcoin and process payments via the Lightning Network. They're, they're actually, uh, I'm having the uh, creator on the podcast for uh, next, uh, he's coming on Sunday, so it'll be out next week. They have various, di- uh, they have numerous different games and run their own node. If you wish to c- connect, their public key is available over at thndr.games forward slash about along with their Telegram and social media, Thunder Games are making mobile games which enable players to win Bitcoin for free using the Lightning Network to win prizes. Uh, check them out, thndr.games today. The Bob Shop, the most diverse blockchain and crypto clothing store on the web. I love these guys, and I had to have a little chuckle. I ordered a, uh, I got, actually, I ordered a shirt from them. Uh, the other day, already here, cryptocurrency, the Bitcoin logo, a play on the uh, California uh, uh, deal, I, I think. So I really like what they have over there. Uh, check them out. They have all sorts of stuff, uh, very diverse, lots of different projects. Uh, check them out, bobcrypto.com. That's B-O-B-C-R-Y-P-T-O.co. Vinxcoin. Vinxcoin is the world's first decentralized fine French wine and vineyard-backed security token offering STO, where anyone can be a fine French wine and vineyard owner from the comfort of their own home. Vinx removes the high-cost barrier to entry to French wine and vineyard ownership markets. Check them out at Vinxcoin.com. Trios. What is Trios? Trios is an economy and an ecosystem. Trios is a direct reference to decentralized money that will power a new economy. In the future, the term Trios will become synonymous with cryptocurrency and virtual as- virtual financial assets, VFAs, their payment methods, their ecosystem, and their general use as both a utility and a store of value. Check them out at Trios.io. Charon Coins, you found the brick-and-mortar financial institution where you can safely trade Dollars for Bitcoin, USD to BTC, over-the-counter, and person-to-person. They facilitate transactions of all sizes, including high-volume transactions. Their headquarters is located in Milwaukee, serving the MKE areas of Lakefront, Eastside, Riverwest, and Waukesha County. More than just being an OTC location, they're here to educate you about Bitcoin, wallets, blockchain, crypto, security, and platforms. If you're in the Milwaukee area, you can also check out their Bitcoin ATM with more to come soon. Visit Coins that's C-H-A-R-O-N-C-O-I-N-S.com. Bitcoin store value. Bitcoin SOV is an emerging community-driven project that is a decentralized team the world over. It is a proof-of-work mineable ERC-20 and has a deflationary design with token burns to ensure your value is stored over time. Check out their site at bsov.io. Lucho Paletti, a digital artist that did the Andy Warhol on my wall to buy Bitcoin uh, play there. Uh, He's a self-described propagandist known for his iconic Bitcoin artworks. Lucho's number one goal is to spread the message that Bitcoin is better money. Check out Lucho Paletti. That's L-U-C-H-O-P-O-L-E-T-T-I.com.
And Flashcoin, lastly, is a reinvention of Litecoin built to scale for worldwide commerce and fast enough to handle everyday transactions. The flexible and easy to integrate core code allows exchanges and wallets to add Flash to their platform within hours. With a settlement time of five seconds and consensus within two minutes, anyone, anywhere can use Flash Mobile Wallet as easy as cash or credit card. Visit Flashcoin, that's F-L-A-S-H-C-O-I-N dot I-O. And remember, nothing written or spoken on Briar.io is financial advice. Always D-Y-O-R, do your own research. You are the captain of your financial ship. You are in control of your financial sovereignty. And please enjoy this episode. Welcome back. This is episode number 21 of the Varies and Numerous podcast. Today I'm with Lynn Albrick, mother of Ross Albrick. Uh, he's the alleged founder of the Silk Road. I'll get into that shortly after I say hello to Lynn. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm, he I'm actually is, has admitted to being the founder, FYI. Okay, yeah, that was. I'm going to get into all that. So anytime <laughs> I make a mistake, there's so much to unpack here. Just, oh yeah, it's very complicated. Right. Okay. So alleged, yeah, alleged founder. I, I did. Did I say that? I have it in here as alleged. So yeah, there's a lot of things that are only alleged, not proven. But okay. that he did uh, say he founded it. Okay. So uh, wait, he didn't. He did say that he that he uh, founded it, right? Is that yeah. what you're saying? Okay. They created the site. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get into all that. We'll get into all that. So I met you briefly. I said hello to you in, at Anarchadelphia. You were you go around speaking on uh, Ross's behalf, uh, trying to you know enlighten people to what happened in his case and stuff. And uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to you too much there, but I wanted to interview you and ask you some questions. Unfortunately, there wasn't a side room for us to speak really, at, so I didn't feel it was like a proper place to have an interview. But uh, thanks for taking your time to come on here today. Happy to. Absolutely. Yeah, so for people that don't know, the Silk Road was a uh, dark web site, uh, dark web website that was a black market for uh, all sorts of different goods. Um, Ross was alleged to be the creator. I guess he's admitted to being the creator and mm-hmm. was convicted of money laundering, computer hacking, conspiracy to traffic, uh, fraudulent uh, identity documents, and distribution of narcotics over the internet. So... Um, I've I've been following this case. I got into Bitcoin probably around the same time as Ross, I'm guessing, because, I mean, he started this website in 2011, and I've been kind of following it uh, the entire way through since, um, you know, I, I never was on the website, but um, I as soon as, you know, people started talking about the Silk Road, um, I was aware of it. So this is all very interesting to me, that how this is all unfolded. Um, I like to start in the beginning of people's lives, though, and this is kind of a different case since you're uh, talking about your son, but where did, uh, where did he grow up? Where did you raise your family? In Austin, Texas. Okay. And what type of student was he? Ross is a, um, a good student. He did, I, I honestly don't think he lived up to his full potential because um, he's very, very smart in science. He's loved physics. He had a great physics teacher in high school. He had a really great math teacher when he was younger, uh, but um, you know, so he was, he was a good student. I wouldn't say he was top top student, you know. He, but um, that was mostly be, from not applying himself as opposed to not having the intelligence to do it. But. So when did he get in, interested in the free market stuff? Because he had he seemed to have the entrepreneurial gene. Is that does that run in the family? Yeah, I'm afraid it does. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, 
Um, well, Ross went to um, University of Texas and majored in physics and worked in a um, solar cell laboratory. Um, he was not, he never was trained in computer programming. And that people say that he always a computer programmer. No, he wasn't, uh, which does play into, you know, some of the alleged things. But in any case, <clears throat> he uh, then went on to get his master's degree at Penn State in material science. And while he was there, he became involved with the Ron Paul campaign. He brought Ron Paul to Penn State, uh, you know, supported the campaign, started reading Austrian economics, and became very passionate about freedom and free markets and about Bitcoin uh, and the potential for monetary freedom through Bitcoin. Um, so that all happened in his in grad school. Um, and yeah. Was this like, uh, we have sort of the same, a lot of the same interests. Uh, I'm an Austrian school guy too. And I love to read the Austrian Mises and all that stuff. And, you know, uh, economics is the science of human action. Did he go, did he come home and, uh, sort of tell you these sort of ideas or, uh, you know, talk to you on the phone about them? Because I know I badgered a lot of people and I still do about these ideas or was this something he kept to himself? I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I think we did talk about things. We talked about philosophy and politics and he told me about Bitcoin actually. And I finally said, well, should I get some? Or, and he goes, no, mom, it's too volatile. It was probably like 50 cents. It's really very bad advice. But anyway, um, yeah, so he was very excited about it. Um, and in fact, changed his plan. He had gotten a scholarship to get his PhD at Cornell in material science. And he was like, no, it's not my passion anymore. I'm really into this. And of course, I, as his mother, I'm like, oh, my God, no. You know, but, you know, it really wasn't his passion anymore. And so he... Uh, you know, wanted to bring an experience of the free market to people so they could actually experience what it's about. And that's really was the intent of Silk Road. It wasn't to be a, an illicit market. It was an open market, except it did have, um, it did have prohibitions because it was based on the non-aggression principle uh, so that if a third party were harmed by a transaction, it was not permitted. So for example, there was no child pornography or anything related to hurting children because, well, that's the third party, the child, or stolen property. Well, the third party had his stuff stolen. So the, it, that was the rule across the board. Um, but drugs were allowed. It was considered a you know, exchange between two willing people. And uh, so it was not controlled. But, you know, you'll read about it and it's all about, oh, you know, I just read an article I couldn't believe because there's a billboard now up in Times Square, free mm -hmm. rocks. And oh. uh, yes, a, a very generous supporter put it up there and um, someone wrote about it and said he had this terrible person has permission of a billboard and Silk Road was known for child exploitation and human trafficking. And that is a complete lie. It's a total lie. I've tried to get a hold of the uh, writer and say, corrected, but I've had no luck. And um, we're constantly battling that because it was an idealistic venture that, um, you know, was meant to be good. I mean, you know, I, I'm, no harm was intended. Right. So um, <clears throat> to give him a double life plus 40 year sentence to someone who's completely nonviolent and peaceful has shown that his entire life um, is a terrible, terrible thing.
Yeah, the, you know, the natural law and the non-aggression principle and all that stuff kind of is wrapped into the Austrian ethos too, I think. And mm-hmm. I believe from the research I did that it was even on the front page of the website that, you know, um, violence won't be tolerated or isn't endorsed mm-hmm. in any, you know, sort of uh, markets to try to anybody that tries any vendors or whatever that try to come in and, uh, you know, do that kind of stuff, be whatever reprimanded or kicked off or whatever. So it is interesting how, yeah, they were, mm-hmm. yeah, how people try to frame the argument. Um, so at what time, uh, let's get more into the Silk Road. What time did he give up the name DPR? He went by the Dread Pirate Roberts upon the creation of the site, I believe. Well, it, no, that, that's not accurate. Um, okay. And I just know, I just know from, well, there's a um, document and it's also a, um, a, uh, you can watch it. You can. It's a podcast. It's a video. It is a written document on our website called Silk Road: The Untold, The Real Untold Story. That's footnoted heavily, and it talks about how it, initially it was admin, you know, whoever was admin, you know, and I think there were many, and um, and then when Wired interviewed DPR, mm-hmm. came out with the name. But even in the interview, he says, I got it from my predecessor. Ross said he never did that interview. Um, that was, He had already passed it on. It, you know, like I said, he wasn't a computer programmer. So it became very overwhelming. He was really stressed out. And um, it just, you know, was getting bigger than he had ever thought it would be. So um, he passed it on. And I don't know a lot of the details, but um, that's what my understanding. Okay. I like I said, just correct me if I say something wrong. I'm, oh, sure. It's no, not intentionally. I don't, I don't expect you to. <laughs> I, I can be corrected as well. I mean, I'm, you know, it's a very technical and complex case. And honestly, sometimes I'm like, what was that again? <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, it's tough to keep everything straight. And when, yeah. you know, you're getting things secondary or, you know, down the line from people that are yeah. journalists. And like we've already mentioned, people have a way of uh, putting their own spin on things. So I recommend looking at that, um, either listening to it or watching it or reading what we have on the site. I think you'll find it really interesting if you're interested. Yeah, I actually have watched that before. It's been a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I've, I've watched most of the stuff out there about the, uh, the case. What about the – okay, so do you know how Mark Carpellis came into the entire uh, situation about, you know, maybe he, you know, he owned Mt. Gox when it was hacked or whatever, where the Bitcoin were – you know, the exchange was allegedly hacked and all that stuff. And then it was thought that he may be DPR. Do you know, like, why that was thought that he was DPR or, anything, or much about that? Because that all seems a little bit, um, I'm confused about that whole thing, personally. Yeah, well, it's kind of confusing. Um, really, all I know is um, it came from the testimony of a government agent at trial. Um, he, Jared Duryagan, who was, um, he was the main guy on the investigation initially, um, out of Chicago, and he was um, cross-examined. Well, he testified and then was cross-examined at trial. I think he was on there on the stand for like three days, and he was he uh, talked about how he believed. First of all, he he said there were many DPRs. He said that I heard him say it with my own ears. But then he said because um, he was undercover on the site for two years and thousands of hours as a uh, Cirrus, I think was his uh, pseudonym. But in any case, he said that um, he started talking about how he believed um, DPR was Mark Carpellis and how he 
uh, had told the uh, other, there's a lot of competition among, uh, among the investigators to be the one that banged the trophy. And so he told the other ones, look, back off. I don't want to uh, alert Carpellis because we're closing in. And what happened was they did alert him. They were corrupt agents in Maryland. They're now in prison. Mm -hmm. um, we can go into that too, because they weren't allowed to be known at the trial. That's on uh, the list. Huh? Okay. That's on my list. And, and they, and they um, did alert Carpellis by uh, seizing money, I think it was $2 million out of his account. And so he knew that he was being pursued. And then the agent, this federal agent, Jared Duryagan at trial, um, testified that there was a meeting in Guam between Carpellis's lawyers and the agents in, uh, I believe, in Maryland. And so um, at, that, at that meeting, he had been told that the uh, Carpellis's lawyers offered a name of DPR in, in exchange for backing off of their client. And then very shortly afterwards, Ross was arrested. Duryagan always thought it was uh, Mark Carpellis, and you can read about it in, in this, the document we have on our site from official emails and papers that have been preserved where Carp um, Duryagan is saying, Carpellis is, is wiping all his uh, stuff now. Now that Ross has been arrested, he's wiping it. He's going to get away with it, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm, what, and then what happened was the prosecution so vociferously objected that to this testimony that the judge allowed the trial to be stopped. It was getting late. And when it resumed, and she said, well, it's, it's valid. You know, an alternate perpetrator is a valid argument. When we return next the following week, she said, nothing about Carpellis must be mentioned. Nothing about an alternate perpetrator can be mentioned. The jury must forget they ever heard it. It will be expunged from the record. And I'm like, what? Well, wow, that's interesting. Was he, was he subpoenaed? Carpellis? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. So, no, we weren't allowed to mention his name. And so I'm not, look, to be honest, I'm not saying I, it is Mark or not Mark. I don't know. What do I know? I'm just saying what I observed in trial. And um, so that's pretty much what I know. I mean, I know I've talked to people who feel like he stole Bitcoin and this and that. And I know he was later arrested. I don't know if he's in jail now. I, I don't really. I don't know. think he ever went to jail or he didn't go to jail for long. I don't know what the term. Years, I thought in Japan. Yeah, he, 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 got pretty, he got pretty easy for what the amount of money that went missing, whether that was an accident or not. So, but what about what? That no money ever went missing from Silk Road. Uh, until the agents, the federal agents, got involved. Right. What, what exactly? Yeah, I got. I have that coming up here in a few questions. Yeah. What? So, what exactly did Ross ever give any sort of? Um, did he ever mention? Are you allowed to mention uh, who he thought he may have sold it to? I mean, given the the nature of of the website and anonymity, um, I'm just wondering if he actually had ever told you, like, I think that it was Mark Kripalis, or I think it was uh, somebody else. Not really. He, you know, he doesn't, oh, he doesn't tell me everything. You know, yeah. I'm, in, first of all, I'm talking to him in prison. Right. He, I haven't, you know, and uh, everything's recorded. And so I don't really have a lot of inside info, that kind of stuff. Um, he did say he did pass, pass it on. Yeah. And he's explained it to me and things, but I can't retain it. I've got the worst um, technological retention probably of, you know, hey, look, I'm old. But, you know, it's uh, not my thing. I'm, I'm not a math person. He didn't get his abilities from me. 
those abilities. That's funny. So yeah, I didn't. I mean, believe me. Uh, but um, so I, you know, I I actually don't know. Okay, so he he started the site in 2011, and then they 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 caught up to him in San Francisco, I believe, in a library. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay, and as what I have read, and I actually have this question as well. Um, I read the Kingpin book, and I know when I went through it, there was a lot in there I felt like were, was pretty inaccurate from just what I've gathered. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I did read the book, and um, I'm just wondering, like, did he actually have the laptop open like everybody's saying? How did they get in there and get all the Bitcoin? Because he's obviously a very smart guy. Um, yeah, I, Ross, I'm talking about Ross. He's obviously very intelligent. Um, it, to me, it would seem like maybe they were, you know, somehow he had them uh, cryptographically uh, secured somewhere. I'm just curious if you know any of that stuff, like how how that all went down. Is that accurate, how it's depicted in the book or how people say? Well, first of all, I didn't read the book. I did read some excerpts, and there's a lot of inaccuracies just in the excerpts. Mm-hmm. He talks about, Bilton talks about things that are, that I was there. You know, he, he paints a picture like, for example, there's a part that I read that was like, Ross was living in a basement and he was just really weirdo. And so right. I was in that basement in Pennsylvania in a house Ross owned that it was a finished basement with a carpet and an office area and a, you know, and it was nice. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it was in the basement. Okay. You know, but it's like distorted. And actually Curtis Green, who was written about in that book as well said, oh yeah, he said, I lived in a, rundown shack or something and then the picture he said here's my house it was a nice house you know so it's there's a lot of that kind of, but journalists do that stuff but i was warned uh not to get involved in that book because i was being uh, urged by him to to be involved by someone who said who's an insider and said don't get involved it's going to be the government narrative and in fact i i know that the government provided their narrative to him a year before trial so you know, I am very suspect of the book, um, and you know, but it's out there. But uh, no, it's you're right. You're perceptive to see that. Um, one of the things that was in the book that um, was actually used in the Supreme Court case was that it, it talks about how the government used a directional antenna. I guess the government told him this. You know, because he's in with them, a directional antenna on Ross's house and could track him throughout his house without a warrant without probable cause, with, with just in secret. And um, that actually came up in the Supreme Court case of Ross's about how they uh, you know, are trampling on our Fourth Amendment rights and protections. Um, but in any case, um, what was your question again? I'm just wondering about the Bitcoin specifically now that you've answered that. Uh, did, how did they get into his wallet to look to, to basically yeah, yeah, yeah. get to the Bitcoin? Okay, so what I know about um, from the trial is that Ross was in the library downloading the Colbert Report. He was on an open source network. And um, actually, we had wanted to call a tech witness, uh, and he wasn't permitted to come in and testify that with an open source network and anonymous uh, people running it, you can't say who, who was doing this. And um, it's open to people doing all kinds of stuff on there. And so that's what Ross was doing. And what I understand is that, you know, it's all in the, in the um, document, so I may misspeak, um, but that he was, uh, that the same agent that I was talking about who thought it was Carpellis 
got on there and said, can you log in? And um, he did. And at that time, uh, they seized him and his laptop. Now, something else to be known about the whole laptop investigation, and this came up at trial again and was shot down by the, the judge. The, our, our lawyer wasn't allowed to question. But one of these agents, well, they broke protocol throughout the whole thing. But um, one of these agents had that laptop all to himself, no supervision for up to three hours, two to three hours. He could have done anything he wanted with it. I mean, you know, and this is totally against protocol. Right. Well, as they crashed it, they apparently by the time, and I'm not technical enough to really talk about, but apparently by the time it got to the trial, it was a copy of a copy of a copy that had been manhandled for a long time. And there was all kinds of opportunity to mess with it. So this should have been thrown out just on that. And um, instead, you know, they went right through. Was this one of the agents that had the laptop that was later indicted them, you know, themselves? No, No, the different guys, the ones who are indicted and are in prison now, they're in prison right now. Uh, I'm curious if if they had gotten out yet. They haven't gotten out yet, but I believe one of them is getting out in October. Um, The alleged victim, Curtis Green, uh, who they got to, uh, you know, they poured ketchup on him like he was, and stuff like right, that. the one guy they got to and kind of had him. He was a he was a. Um, they they say he basically worked for Ross or whoever DPR was. Yeah, he was an admin, right. high level admin, and I know Curtis. Uh, I've gotten to know him. He doesn't believe it was Ross who had, was in those anonymous chats about um, murder for hire, and he really wants Ross out. And he's actually come out publicly and said, "I look forward to him getting out." and but I'm really afraid of those agents getting out. He's terrified of the agents. And because um, <clears throat> he was brutalized by them and uh, he's afraid of them. So, um, but in any case, and he said that publicly, um, but um, those agents are the ones that were working out of Maryland and, and they submitted the material that the whole Maryland indictment, which included murder for hire, was based. This is a, a corrupt agent who submitted this, and this is whose word we're taking is this is a real chat, that this is not something that was completely fabricated. And um, it's been dismissed with prejudice, and it was never charged at trial. So, this whole murder for hire thing that keeps, you know, it's around uh, and has poisoned this case was never proven at trial. It was never ruled on by a jury, it was never prosecuted. It has now been dismissed with prejudice. It does not exist in the legal system. And um, Ross is basically exonerated of this, but people still talk about it. And they don't even say murder for hire. They go murder as if he murders. I mean, and I'm like, who's murdered? Could you please tell me? Because no one was murdered. The government. Right. <laughs> is that the kingpin charge that you're alluding to? Is that the one that is out there? Is that, is that separate? That's separate. Okay. There was no charge. Uh, there was no, I don't think there was a kingpin charge in Maryland. I'm, I don't think. Well, the kingpin charge happened when Ross was offered a kind of a plea, not really a plea, that was um, 10 years, but they were going to recommend life to the judge. And when he turned that down on the advice of his lawyer, they said, okay, if you're going to do that, then we're going to load on the kingpin charge. This was late in the game. Because they know what a website host is a kingpin. Right. It's like Pablo Escobar or El Chapo. Sure. So 
In any case, they've loaded it on and it has its own life sentence, hence the double life sentence. But, um, and then the minimum was 20 years instead of 10, and uh, they'd still recommend life. So that came late, and um, really, honestly, it's, 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 the it's horrible, it's an evil thing to do, to put that on someone who's a nonviolent person. I don't think there's too many kingpins who adhere to the non-aggression principle and, you know, have a book club and, you know, <laughs> uh, you know uh, uh, believe in voluntary interaction. Was, I mean, it's just such an abuse of government power to do that. Do you believe that he was um, sort of unfairly, you know, prosecuted or um, because of his, his beliefs? I think I read it at one point and this may, this is, you know, this has all been unraveling over many years now. So, but I believe that I read at one point that somebody, was it the judge that I read or somebody that he, you know, they knew that he was, he has these anarcho-capitalist beliefs and uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, I'd be happy to. First of all, um, <clears throat> yes, I believe that it's my, an idea, a revolutionary idea is much more dangerous than drugs. I don't think the government really minds, I mean, about the drugs that much. I mean, the biggest drug seller on, who's convicted of the biggest drug seller on Silk Road got 10 years, and he's the same offense level as Rawls. So, I mean, you know, but in any case, um, and Blake Benthal, who was running Silk Road 2, which was bigger and sold more drugs and has done no prison time at all. Um, so they don't really, I don't think they really care about it that much. They don't think they're a danger, but an idea, an idea like Bitcoin, an idea like that kind of free market is, is very dangerous. And um, so Ross's libertarian beliefs were not permitted to be known to the jury. That was forbidden. It was a very carefully controlled narrative. And, um, <clears throat> Then later in sentencing, the judge even said, she goes, we know you founded this site based on a political, a philosophy, you know, it's your philosophy. And I'm not sure it's a philosophy you've left behind. So basically I need to have you die in prison because of this dangerous philosophy of the non-aggression principle and voluntary interaction. And um, yes, and, and I feel like that's a first amendment offense. Uh, we should not be caged and condemned to die in a cage for our, our philosophy in this country. That's not what we're supposed to, supposed to happen. But she did justify her draconian sentence with that statement. And um, so, yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. I wanted to ask yeah. you a little bit more about that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, so, you know, we talked about Ron Paul a little bit. He he's was major in, you know, converting me to the Austrian school and right. you know, all that stuff. I know you talk to a lot of people in that, that this uh, realm that are interested in uh, what Ron Paul's done. Has, did anyone, has anyone been able to reach out and get him to, I don't know, use his voice to, um, you know, try to help, help in that in any way? I've talked to him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, at conferences, um, so I know, and I was on a podcast with him on the crypto show and, and Danny Sessom, who's the host of it said to him, do you know about Ross Ulbricht and what do you think? And his answer was, well, I was somewhat, um, you know, I was neutral, but he basically said when I was running, I said that I would pardon every nonviolent offender. I don't want any nonviolent offenders in prison. So implying that of course he would pardon Ross uh, if he were president. That's about as far as he has gone with it. 
Okay. He's very sympathetic or has been expressed that to me, but um, he hasn't taken it on as a cause or anything. All right, I was just curious. All right, so we we talked a little bit about the FBI and how much uh, they say, they say that Ross had twenty eight eight and a half million dollars uh, when they when they arrested him, uh, which is probably like a billion dollars today. I don't know. I mean, in Bitcoin, it's that's just an insurmountable sum of money to even think about. Um, what happened to all of the, those bitcoins? Do you know? Uh, well, I, I, I yeah, I don't know how much he had exactly, but um, it was seized by the government. Everything on his laptop, but it was shared wallet. It wasn't necessarily all his. His. They have let. They said that he is responsible for everything sold on the site, and they valued the site at one hundred and eighty-three million dollars, including the legal things like gold, um, you know, books, art, whatever. And I actually, a guy who had gold on there said, told me they seized my gold. It was totally legal. They seized it. Um, <clears throat> so Ross has an, a, a forfeiture on his head that if he ever gets out, he owes the government multiple millions of dollars for Silk Road. Um, so, but they, they, they did seize the, the Bitcoin. Like I say, it was a shared wallet. So it's hard to say uh, what's exactly Ross's, but they auctioned it. At a very low price, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that was a while ago. It's yeah. hard to remember how all that went down now. Right. But Tim Draper, who bought a lot of the Bitcoin, has been very supportive. He's spoken up for us. Uh, he's, he's been great. So, you know. I mean, Ross has a lot of people in his corner, um, you know, yeah. a lot of pretty high profile people in the blockchain space, especially uh, Roger yeah. Ver being yeah. one of them. Um, I know there's quite a few other ones. What did you say? I'm sorry. Roger Ver. Oh, Roger. Sure. Roger's been incredibly generous. And, you know, we have a widespread support page on our website. And, um, uh, sorry, somebody's driving up. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> there's, it's very impressive of the people who've spoken out publicly for Ross. I, it's on our website. You can see them. Yeah, it's tough to keep anarcho-capitalist minded people quiet for long. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? I, no, but it's from all sides of the political spectrum on there. I mean, Noam Chomsky's on there. Oh, okay, interesting. So, um, what about this diary that is alleged to have been on his laptop? Was he known to keep a diary or a notebook? No. Is that all fabrication, in you your know, opinion? Um, I think things were planted, but it, it wasn't. From what I, you know, I, I'm to be honest, I'm a little bit fuzzy on this whole thing. From what I understand, it was like a couple of entries. It wasn't a long, people think it's long journal, la, 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 la. I don't believe that is accurate. Um, and there was a couple of entries, but again, it's, I've been told by a crypto expert that it's child's play to plant things on, on a computer. Digital evidence is not reliable, it's not solid. And that was the majority of the evidence that was in the, um, the, uh, uh, trial. Did the defense call a lot of crypt, uh, you know, cryptography experts and stuff like that, or how did that work? Well, they tried. I mean, they tried to call this um, technology guy. Oh yeah. So I, you know, it's it's addressed, I believe, in um, the the th the document on our site, and I should know more about it. But what our lawyer told me is that it wasn't a journal, that there were some entries, uh, things that, and again, it's all questionable what was real. Uh, and I had a crypto expert tell me it's child's play, child's play. 
for them to, to plant things, child's work. So, and the NSA was involved, we know that now from Snowden papers and pursuing Bitcoin users and Silk Road, and they have all the technology to do that. So, you know, I think it, a lot of it, personally, I personally think a lot of this is dra dramatized for effect. And, um, but no, Ross has never been known to keep a diary. And the whole thing with the, um, <clears throat> uh, the chats that are supposedly murder for hire. Right. You know, I looked at those chats and I'm like, this is the phoniest sounding thing I've ever heard. For one thing, Ross types like a techie. I never, I would, I wouldn't see a capital letter in sight when he would send me an email or something. Like shorthand. Perfectly punctuated, blah, la la and all. And to me, it sounds like the same person wrote both of them. Well, I mean, just reading it, this is a totally personal response, but I've gotten many messages and emails from Ross over the years, and it doesn't sound like him. And it, and it doesn't type like him. He doesn't tend to capitalize. He doesn't tend to, he's very brief. This is quite wordy and all perfectly punctuated. It's just phony to me. The defense, the defense, sorry, uh, the defense, their argument was that it was airdropped. Am I right? Or is something like that? Does that sound uh, right? I don't, honestly, I don't think, I don't remember him. Okay. But the, the idea is that that wasn't actually his diary, whoever. The, oh, I was talking about the chats, but um, the chats were not in the, in the journal. But um, that, that I think there was something there but uh, I, it wasn't what they portrayed it as and uh, i don't know but there were see so many questions about what was on that laptop you could just plant little things here and there and it's um you know it can be uh, very incriminating if you believe it and the thing is there were other court cases where digital evidence was not permitted because of this exact problem but this judge permitted it and that sets a precedent for other people in trial look you can create digital evidence no problem and then you can manipulate it, you can erase it. And in fact, it was found that after trial, there was a folder that proved, and it was discovered by the defense, that evidence had been deleted. So that partial evidence was shown at trial and the rest of it wasn't shown. And it, it, it you know, it was been tampered with. And um, at, at the same time, it was also found that somebody deep, using DPR account logged into the Silk Road Forum when Ross was already in prison. So there's a lot we don't know. There's a lot going on. And I think, you know, there's so much that's tainted from the corrupt agents that, you know, I don't know that we'll ever know. I mean, they had a whole bunch of emails that the government did not require them to decrypt. And so the emails remain encrypted. I'm like, really? I would no. like to read those emails. So he's exhausted his appeals. Um, what what is the what's the game plan now to uh to get him out of there i mean i know you guys have a petition for signatures uh last time i checked you have like close to a million i think is that is that right um, i wish no but it's close to three hundred thousand. Okay, okay that's still a lot of people um, i'll have a million yeah I, I that's mean, a lot i get a million but um right now yeah i don't know what i should look and see what it is right now but um I think it's close to 300,000. I mean, I know it's close to 300,000. And um, so we do. What we have left is um, two things. Um, they're both hard. <laughs> One is um, 
it actually takes place in a court, but it's not a direct appeal to the criminal courts. It's called a 2255, and we do have lawyers working on it, um, and that's going on. I think it's been somewhat delayed by the whole COVID thing, courtrooms being closed. Um, it's usually, it's very difficult to win, very. Uh, and it's taking place in the Southern District of New York, you know, the Southern District judge, and at least it's not the same judge who sentenced him, which it was going to be until she retired, which is crazy, you know, that it would be the same judge. But anyway, it's not. But uh, and the other thing is a clemency, basically a commutation of this sentence, a correction of the sentence by the President of the United States. So um, that, you know, it's a matter of having President Trump see the injustice here. And in fact, Bernard Carrick just um, recently tweeted two days ago, it was the worst case of injustice he's ever seen. Um, right. You know, yeah, uh, he was great. He did that. Um, <clears throat> he's an old friend of, of the president. I, I, I just hope that it can be brought to his attention in a way that he will look at it and go, you know what, this sentence is over the top. This is wrong. And it sets a terrible precedent for others. Because it's like, well, this kid got, you know, double life plus 40. Well, you know, and uh, that's what, how the courts work. They operate on precedent. Yeah. And, and the, so. And Trump has pardoned quite a few pre people recently. Yeah. So uh, yes. maybe if he gets in the second term, uh, while I'm not a big fan of politics, uh, I, I think that might be a good, a good thing for Ross. Maybe he'd be able to get out that way. That might be a, a good uh, one of his best yeah. bets. Uh, yeah, well, he doesn't have a lot of bets left. So, but that one, I agree. Uh, and I think that President Trump is kind of a wild card in a lot of ways. I mean, he's, he thinks for himself and goes, you know, you never know. <laughs> so right. I'm willing to be hopeful. Mm -hmm. I had a question, a few questions from people that were, I uh, told, you know, I put out on Twitter and Facebook that you were going to be my guest on the show today. One of, one person wants to know, how does he, how does he get these tweets out? He has a Twitter account. I don't know if you're, I, I, I don't know if you want to speak on that or not, because that's obviously. Yeah, it's, it's very simple. It's super simple. He writes them on a piece of paper, puts them in the mail to someone close to the family and um, they publish it. Okay. I don't, cool. but, uh, because it is it. nice it's to see awesome. what he's thinking about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you can get an idea of who he is and his personality, and he, and he's so sweet, right? So it's like, um, yeah, and he really, the thing is, he was very frustrated because he was all these things being written about him, all these terrible things, like he's some kind of really horrible villain, and he said, I want to speak out. I, I need to be able to speak for myself and have people understand who I am, and so that's what this was, was motivated by, and um, hmm. Uh, he also has been writing a lot. Um, a lot their his writings are published on our website and also on medium.com. I was going to ask so, you if he has any um, inclinations or ambitions to write a book. I bet he will when he gets out. Or maybe he'll, he, he's, I think he does write some. I mean, I know he writes essays and things and, and, uh, and write things in there too. So I, I'm definitely going to write a book. <laughs> I think my story is more outlandish than his. <laughs> I'll read your book definitely. That's one hundred percent. Let me know when it's out. So uh, this is sort of a personal question, um, but how often do you get to speak to him? Well, unfortunately, because it's an internet crime, Ross is um, not 
allowed email like other uh, prisoners, uh, which really limits communication. We tr he tried, he appealed to the Bureau of Prisons. They turned him down at the highest level. Uh, and uh, so he has 300 minutes of phone calling a, a month, which go by very quickly. And then uh, we visit, you know, so he, <clears throat> Uh, I, I moved to Tucson so I could visit him and um, other uh, loved ones have moved to t Tucson too and um, you know we, we he has a visits well now they're all shut down there's no visitation because since March I think um, because of the virus and in fact he's locked in a, a cell 22 hours a day and it's been like that since middle of March because of the virus He's only now getting an hour a week outside. So it's pretty rough and there's no visits. But in, under normal circumstances, it's every weekend. At this particular prison, it just depends. Uh, Friday evening, Saturday and Sunday, for a good, good amount of time, like nine to three. And yeah. then holidays too. Whatever people think about this case, you definitely, he has a lot of family support, that's for sure. You, uh, you also moved to Colorado before that, didn't you? I did, and New York before that. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah, I've been kind of dramatic following. Yeah, I just really, really feel that it's, it's just so essential to keep his mental and emotional health good, that he has a lifeline to the outside world. And so I, from the beginning, I've, I've done that. And um, I, I just do, and so many of these poor people in prison, their families turn their backs on them. Not all, some are very loyal and, and see them, but a lot of them do, you know, and they're embarrassed or whatever. And um, it's terribly, terribly sad. Right. What's his overall mind, you know, state of mind right now? I know some of his tweets are kind of up. Some of them are a little more down. Is, is he, does he seem to be pretty even keel most of the time you talk to him or what, what, what do you kind of take from, you know, your interactions? Yeah. Well, I would say that Ross's personality in general is very laid back and, and even. He's always been a very easygoing person. Um, I think it's served him well being in maximum security prisons, to be honest. But he doesn't tend to, you know, he, he, uh, he's not a pushover, but he's not, he also is very laid back and doesn't, you know, he's got a really good perspective. So I would say that, I mean, he did a meditation retreat in, during this lockdown, you know, and things like that. But look, any any human being would get down about the situation. It's, you know, it's old. It, it really gets old. You're in a, you're in a cell eight by ten for every day, twenty two hours for months. It's it's you know it's horrendous. It's really cruel. It is. And I wouldn't put that on my worst enemy. No. Worst enemy. No. So I think he's staying mentally healthy and everything. But you know, look, it's tough. It's not an easy thing. Right. Uh, is he still, I, I think I read that he was at one point that he was, he was, you know, teaching some prisoners, like helping them get their GED or something like that. Is it, is he still he's doing that? Uh, well, he's teaching, he, well, now he's not, of course, because they're all in lockdown, but um, he was mm -hmm. teaching classes. He's helped people get their high school degree, which is GED. He's hit four guys. In fact, they wrote about it. It's on our website. There's a, thing, a link called a hundred letters. That's um, on the meet Ross page. Four of the letters are from fellow prisoners who um, said he gave so much of himself to help them and they got into college remotely because of Ross. They completely credit him for this. And um, he's tutored. He's, um, yeah, he's done a lot of things like that. He's, he's, you know, he's very educated. 
he's a good communicator and he's always been a good teacher. I mean, when he was in grad school, I was, you know, these people that he would mentor and said, oh, he's so great. You know, he's a good communicator. And so he's putting that to use to help people because Ross really cares about people. He really does. Right. It's very admirable. And one of the reasons I think that, you know, he probably, and I can't speak for him, obviously, but created the site is, you know, buying drugs and stuff like that is known to be a very dangerous thing to do. So um, I think I actually, uh, another thing that I had read or seen at one point was that he, that somebody, was it a university or agency, somebody came out and said that, you know, they did a study about the, uh, how much safer it was to go through the Silk Road than go to the neighborhood drug dealer or whatever do you remember that yeah they've done studies academic studies and stuff i mean it's actually a kind of a no-brainer i mean if you have a review system um you know frankly i'm not going to defend selling drugs or taking drugs or any of that or even the site right but it wasn't meant to be um harmful that's the main thing and it never there was no force used there was no um you know and it was hard to get to it's not like um Amazon or something, you had to open a Bitcoin account, you had to fund the Bitcoin account, and you had to know how to use Tor. It wasn't an easy thing. And uh, so, not that, but again, I'm not, look, uh, you know, it, it's a very controversial. Absolutely. Account. What gives you uh, hope that his sentence will be commuted? Well, as Ross said, as long as there's life, there's hope, and he's alive. He's relic. I think he's still healthy. As far as I know, he's healthy. And, um, uh, you know, anything can happen in this crazy world, as we've seen. I mean, who would have thought predicted this? And it's really just people and paperwork to get someone out of prison. It's not physically moving a mountain or, you know, lifting a giant boulder with my bare hands. It's, it's people and paperwork. And so as long as, you know, it's possible, which it is, it's possible, then I, I stay hopeful. And I think there's, as you've said, you know, there's so many people supporting us, so many people who care about this, so many people speaking out that I just believe eventually it'll happen. The other thing that I think is important to remember is that the world was very different when uh, Silk Road and Ross was on trial and all that. Bitcoin was hardly known on anybody. I mean, it was... Silk Road put Bitcoin on the map. Absolutely. And it wouldn't even be anything if it weren't for, for Ross's vision. And um, also drugs. I mean, cannabis is legal in many, and the thing that was most commonly sold on Silk Road was these are amounts of cannabis. Uh, I was in, in uh, San Francisco a while ago, and there's these big billboards, cannabis delivered to your door. And I'm like, wait a minute, isn't that what Silk Road is so it's like um, it's changed. People's attitudes have changed, and I and I just hope that you know I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that uh, it'll get put in perspective. And of course, anyone I tell about this sentence is appalled. They're just like, "What? What are you saying? This is unbelievable!" And um, really, to sign the petition, you don't even have to know all the ins and outs of the case. Just know that a peaceful first-time offender, young guy, did something on a computer and got a double life plus 40 years in America really? without parole, with no hope, with no hope of redemption, no chance to redeem himself, no, nothing. It's just looking down an abyss to your death in prison. This is 
<laughs> this should not be. No, no um, nonviolent person should even be in prison, in my opinion. Now, I've, my, my views have really shifted, and um, a we have place. we have technology that can track them. They can be they can be paying back. They can be doing a lot of things and saving the taxpayer billions of dollars. By the way, so anyway. I am hopeful. If I'm I were, I, I would be to hear I'd have to be. Mm -hmm. No, but I am. I really, I really am. Have you spoken to him about the future of Bitcoin? Yeah, he wrote a thing saying he thinks it's, he's very much um, an advocate of the um, Elliott Wave theory. And uh, <clears throat> he sees it as um, going, going down and then going back up. He sees it going down. I read. I don't know what is it. What? I read one of his recent posts about that, so I was curious. I read his le most recent medium. I think yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's pretty. You know, I you know he does he doesn't have access to the internet or a computer, but we we do send him charts and things, and um, that's that's how he feels. That's his opinion. Um, I'm like not. I, I'm not like I said. I'm very right brained. I'm not the math person, so I don't. I don't know a lot about it. Yeah, I think a lot of people are yeah, still really interested in what he thinks about Bitcoin. So I was curious. Yeah, I, I, I view it as the same sort of vehicle for free markets. So, um, especially yeah. in like developing countries and stuff too, where you know they're not mm -hmm. given the same, where you know, or places with hyperinflation. So it's interesting to think about. Uh, I only have yeah. a couple last. I'm gonna just make a point. Just make a quick point about that and Bitcoin because I go. To, I've gone to so many conferences and spoken about Ross and, and Bitcoin conferences, and a lot of people. It's all about the money and the, uh, you know, new coin or whatever it is. And uh, I always make the point, and Ross has written about this. Bitcoin's about freedom. That's what it's about. That's what captivated him, and. Um, it's really an idea. Mm -hmm. It's an idea that is in, you know, can be in practice, but cryptocurrency in general is about freedom. And um, I think that's what got him in so much trouble. But, um, you know, uh, that I, I think it's important not to lose sight of that. It's the competition of money that makes it such a beautiful thing. We should have, you know, choice in everything we do. Uh, it's voluntary and uh, doesn't harm anybody else. That's, that's sort of my opinion exactly. as well. It's so simple, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very, very basic. But uh, I don't know. It's we're we're still the minority. Yeah. I guess. Where where are you speaking? I know uh, you do a lot of speaking engagements. Where are you speaking this year um, and stuff like that? Uh, letting everyone know where you're going to be. Yeah, well, I um, kind of burned out, to be honest, and I was not, I kind of cut back. Uh, but I had planned to speak at the Libertarian, I was going to be on a panel at the Libertarian National Convention. That got canceled in Austin. It's rescheduled, but I don't think I'm going to be able to make that one in Florida. Then um, I had hoped to go to Porkfest, where I've been for six years straight, and they've been so great and supportive, but I'm not sure I can make it because of family reasons, my daughter and stuff. And then, um, but I am going to attend. I'm not, I don't know that I'm speaking. Last year I had a roundtable, and I have spoken to Freedom Fest, but um, I was given a pass by some a supporter. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of expensive and um so and then i'm going to speak at anarcho vegas 
and um, they're great people. Yeah, so, I know. Um, I just did that event last year. Oh, you should come. I was in Vegas, right? I was, I was in, in Vegas, Vegas the week they held it. I flew home right before, unfortunately. I wish I would have been able to go. But yeah, maybe, well, maybe I'll see you there. Yeah, you can do it again. Yeah. Uh, try, you know. But anyway, uh, but that's all I have right now. I'm doing a lot of interviews. Um, you know, it was really, to be honest, I got really exhausted. Um, I love conferences and meeting everybody, but um, it's also extremely exhausting. And honestly, what I need to do now is get the president's attention. And a lot of the um, conferences I do, I'm not sure that is helping me do that because they're, you know, uh, Bitcoin and the sort of thing. I don't know that that's really uh, the way to do it. So yeah, we uh, but it, it may do like, them, but I'm you totally gotta get exhausted. Right, get outside of our little echo chamber and maybe find another yeah. for the president's here. Yeah. Maybe. Get, Tweet at uh, the guy you mentioned earlier that's friends with Trump. Uh, oh, Bernard Carrick, yeah. 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 But uh, do you want to tell everyone? Uh, I have one last question. Since you already sort of uh, told me what Bitcoin, you know, you said it's sort of a, a freedom to you. It means freedom to you, and that's obviously it means freedom to me, free markets. Maybe you could ask Maybe Ross for me <laughs> if you talk to him and get that from him. We're just, you know, very simplistic. What does Bitcoin mean to him? That's how I wrap up every show. So, uh, yeah, just a lot of people told me, you know, give them their regards and tell them they were thinking about them. I'm obviously in that group too, so. Will do. Um, well, he wrote an essay called Bitcoin Equals Freedom. That's what the name of the essay. Okay. And it was published, I believe that that one was published in Bitcoin Magazine. And um, I spoke there last year, too, but I, I'm not, again, I'm too exhausted to do it this year. But, um, uh, yeah, so that's what Ross thinks it is. I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't, you know, he's looking at the trends and he's looking, and it's not like it's, it's bad or wrong to have it be something profitable, of course. Right. But the ultimate core of it, the, the, the real spirit of it is freedom. I think and that's, I the, believe, what Ross believes. The monetary, monetary wealth, or, you know, the wealth that comes with it is a byproduct of the freedom and, you know, the amount of uh, goods, you know, good stuff that can come out of it. So I agree 100%. I appreciate your time today. Uh, is there any, I know free at Ross.org is a good place to go. Where, is there anywhere else where can people? Well, please, please, if you haven't already, um, click the red banner at freeross.org. It'll take you right to the petition. You can sign it. You can share it. Help me get to 300,000 and we're almost there. I think we're like, you know, I have work today, but we're getting there. And um, if anyone has any, um, you know, political connections, that would be really great. Um, you know, any kind of, and it doesn't have to be at the White House level or anything like that. Just um, different people, you never know who knows who and that sort of thing. And so if you have any ideas, please, please get a hold of me. My um, reachable, the footer of every page on our website, and um, so that would be great. And um, there's also a take action page on the website that has ideas or if other people have ideas of, of helping, you know, how they can help. Like the guy who approached me and said, I want to put up a billboard in Times Square. I'm like, sounds great. And he did. He did. That's great. Uh, there's not a lot of people in Times Square, so he got a really good deal. <laughs> but uh, it's going to be, uh, but hopefully, you know, buses and hopefully it will eventually. But it's going to be up till the election. So that's great. That's just one example. Yeah. 
Well, thanks for giving me a little piece of your Friday night. And, um, I'll say, I'll say goodbye in one second.